If you'd open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, we are beginning uh, our study of the Gospel of John. There's an old Chinese proverb that I like, um, even the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. Uh, I don't think it'll take us a whole thousand miles to get through John, but this is the first step, and it's exciting. There are four books of the Bible that are called Gospels. Gospel is good news. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're complementary, inspired writings of narrative history, but so much more. They all have a purpose, and that's to show us the life of Jesus Christ. From four different perspectives, four different men. As a jeweler might First, hold up a diamond to the light and show you the brilliancy from the light. And then later, take it and put it under a magnifying glass so you can see the close detail. And then maybe put it against a dark piece of velvet so that you can see the the contrast between the light and the darkness. And then, really, if he wants the sail, he'll put it on the finger of the person so that you can see it on your own hand. It's the same diamond, and each perspective lends a fresh insight into the value and desirability of that jewel. In the same way, the four Gospels provide us a rich and varied picture of the life of the incarnate God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, showing the faithfulness of God's promises throughout all of the Scriptures to send a Redeemer. All of the Scriptures point to, before this, point to that event. The incarnation of Christ. And then since then, we look back to those events, the incarnation of Christ, and also look forward to his second coming. However, the fact remains that when you look at the Gospel of John, it is a beloved, dearly beloved book of the church. It's direct, it's to the point, it's the most personal of the four Gospels, the most theological of the four Gospels, maybe with uh, a contest with Matthew, it's, it's, it's maybe the most Old Testament referenced of the Gospels. It's full of long conversations and prayers and teaching. It's, it's wonderfully different than the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels. Synoptic means they have the same view, if you will. Most of John's material is new, whereas the synoptics use much of the same material. Isn't it fascinating that 97% of the book of Mark is found in Matthew and Luke as well? They wrote in light of each other, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, showing various emphases and themes but they were written maybe 20 or 30 years after Jesus. That, that first generation of people who knew Christ, before they died, they didn't want the, 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 the narrative of Christ's incarnation to be lost from that first generation. They were concerned that the eyewitnesses were all passing away and they wanted to record the events of Jesus' life for posterity. We feel something of this with the World War II generation. It's, it's passing away. That generation is, is, is passing away at a, at a higher rate every day. 
They're getting older and older. And there's this renewed emphasis to write down their stories. We don't want this first generation to leave us without having written down everything that we possibly can. This is kind of how Matthew, Mark, and Luke approached their gospel accounts. They're recording as eyewitnesses were passing away for the church. B.B. Warfield stated that these present Jesus from below looking upward, whereas the Gospel of John presents Jesus from above looking downward. John wrote another generation later, it's a, and he also wrote in light of the first three Gospels. He probably knew them and knew of them. He wrote around 85 A.D., and seems to be adding some information that's very, very helpful for the church. He thought the church should have, and he was also an eyewitness. But unlike the others, he was a very old man. And God in his good providence gave us also the Gospel of John. It's interesting that we, we are praying now this month for the ministry of the Gideons. It's fascinating to realize just how many people have picked up a Bible in a hotel or in a house and opened to the Gospel of John, and God has saved their souls. This book has been used amazingly. So it is with some trepidation and joy that we begin the Gospel of John this morning. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Amen. Please be seated. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we are humbled to have this scripture, to have your word. And yet we know that our hearts are hard and our eyes are blind and our ears are often stopped. And we pray that you would soften our hearts to receive this good word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So already you begin to see that John's gospel is a wonderful blend of narrative, history, and theology. His purpose of the gospel, he, he actually tells us what his, his purpose is in John chapter 20. He says, all these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the theme statement of all of John, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and may believing may have life in his name. So John's method to go about this task is describing the life of Christ. Um, It's divided basically into two big chunks, if you will. The first 11 chapters are called the sign books, where he uses signs, wonders, to highlight the fact that Jesus Christ is divine. And then the last half of the book is all the week of Christ's passion, his journey to Jerusalem and his death and resurrection. He uses wonderful literary devices, some of which you have seen already in these first 18 verses. Dualism, light and dark, life and death earth and heaven, thematic statements that you'll see over and over again. I am. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the good shepherd. And all of this has the ultimate purpose of convincing the reader that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Three points that I'll make during this short time in God's word. First, that we will look at the Word. Why is Jesus called the Word? Secondly, we'll see that He is eternal. And thirdly, we'll see that this eternal Word is the Creator. The Word, the eternal Word, and the Creator Word. He says, in the beginning was the Word. Why does John call Jesus the Word? It seems unique. Well, the reason is because he loves the scriptures. He loves the Old Testament. John knows the Old Testament well. He quotes the Old Testament often in his writings. The very first part of his gospel is a quotation from Genesis 1. And in the Old Testament, the word, the Hebrew debar, is connected to creation. He spoke all things into existence. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The debar of the Lord, the word of Yahweh. So we see creation related to the word of God. There's also prophetic revelation. Over and over again, the prophets say, The word of the Lord came to me. Or hear the word of the Lord. The Debar of the Lord, the Debar of Yahweh. And powerfully we see salvation, action displayed by the Debar, the word of the Lord. Isaiah 55, God says, So shall my word, my Debar, be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing which I have sent it. The Word. This 
This word of God has always been associated with the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth of God. Carson says, God's word in the Old Testament is his powerful self-expression in creation and revelation and salvation. And the personification of that word makes it suitable for John to apply it as a title to God's ultimate self-disclosure, the person of his own son. Jesus, the word, came to communicate God to man in a way that had not been done before. He eternally reveals the Father to the world and has always reflected the mind of the Father. But in space and time, he came to the earth as a man to show us the Father. Joel Beakey says, When John called Jesus the Word, he implied that Christ not only brings us a message from God, but is himself the message. Jesus is the message. He's the Word. When people talk about the Gospel, sometimes if, if you'll be talking to me and uh, the Gospel comes up, you might be thinking, what I, I think I know the Gospel. If someone asked me to explain it, I'm not sure if I would know exactly what to say. Well, just as the Word is Jesus, the Gospel ultimately is Jesus. You do know the Gospel. The Gospel is Jesus Christ. All of His person, all of His work is the Gospel. So for these reasons, John immediately refers to Jesus as the Word. He's communicating the Father to a dying world. And he is the message of life. But we'll also see that the second point, he's the eternal word. In the beginning. In the beginning. Those Greek words are in arche, in the beginning. In the the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Genesis 1 is in arche. In the beginning. John is purposely pointing us to Genesis chapter 1. Jesus was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Christ, was Jesus. Whereas Genesis takes us back to the beginning of what? The universe. John takes us back to the beginning of the beginning of the beginning of eternity. All the way back. John goes farther back than Genesis. And he says that Jesus is the word who's always been with God. In the beginning was the word. He wasn't created. In Genesis, we read of creation. Jesus wasn't created at all. He's not a creature He was in the beginning, the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning of all things. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The very first sentence right out the gate, John just says it. Jesus is God. He's God. The Logos, that's Word, the eternal Word, was with God and he was God. Jesus is God. 
That statement is offensive to the world. Many will not bow the knee to Jesus because they reject God as well. He's of one substance with the Father and the Holy Spirit, three persons, distinct persons. In other words, Jesus is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not Jesus. They're three distinct persons, and yet they are one God. Not a God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not the Word was a God. Jesus wasn't a God. He was God. With God for all eternity in eternal fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. So why is that important? Why does John start right there? Jesus is God. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't start right there. Why does John feel it's so important to start right there with a declaration from the very front? Jesus is God. Why? He understands that the infinitely great offense of humanity is sin against God. And only God himself could come and do that work to reconcile an infinitely offensive man to a perfectly holy God. Nothing less than divine intervention would suffice for that work. So John sets us straight to the point in the very first sentence. Jesus is God. He's God. Later we find out he had to be God. He says in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. He just reiterates the same point. It's an exclamation point. He was in the beginning with God. But he's also preparing us for the very next statement, which is that he is our creator as well. I remember as a child, I loved Legos. I would just get out the Legos and start building something. Children are all born like that. All humans actually are born to create. We love creating. It's, it's a shadow of the image of God that he's given us that we can also create. We don't create like God creates. He creates perfectly. He creates with absolute perfect purpose and unity and intent. We, we create haphazardly. We create imperfectly. And yet there is something in us that loves to create. Not, not just Christians either, right? All of humanity loves to create. To put the Legos together is a joy of a child. Or to go outside and, and build a, a snowman. Or to build a sandcastle at the beach. We love creating. Children are born creating. Adults love, many adults love writing. or Enjoy the, the, the beauty of poetry. This is just acknowledging that someone has written this wonderful literature. Well, John tells us that Jesus, Jesus is the creator. He's the eternal creator of all things. All things were made through him, verse 3. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Again, John is, he's using an exclamation point. He's saying the same exact thing. From a positive view and a negative view. 
Positively, all things were made through him. And then negatively, without him, nothing, not anything was made that was made. So Jesus, the word, was with God from the beginning and made everything. He's the agent of creation, the co-creator with God. He's not a creature. He is the creator. He made all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. If you see anything in creation, you know God made it and Christ was the agent of that creation. He made it. All things were made through him. This is the act of creation. And then John changes the tense of the verb and says, by him was not anything made that was made. This is the state of creation. So he made the universe by his word and it exists today because he holds it together and he made it. If you see it, he made it. Colossians 1, this is all through the scriptures, of course. Colossians 1 says that Jesus made all things. All things are created through him and for him. And in him, all things hold together. Hebrews 1 says that he, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word, the logos of his power. That's Jesus. If he were to release his hand from this upholding, this holding together for even a moment, the universe would cease to exist. So this is the message. Jesus is God. He's with the Father from the beginning, and he made everything. And this includes you. 1 Corinthians 8, Paul says, for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. From and for, through and through whom we exist. The Father commands, the Son executes, and then the Spirit applies this work of creation. Just like in our salvation, the Father elects those who will be made part of His family. The Son came and executes the sacrifice that was required. And then the Spirit applies it to each one of our hearts. And this is foundational knowledge for every person on earth. That Christ Jesus is their Creator. Why is that so hard for the world to accept? Because if He's the Creator, then you owe Him your allegiance. You must bow the knee. But Jesus, this message from God, communicating God to a fallen man, this, this man from Nazareth, this carpenter who was despised by the rulers and the Pharisees and the Jews and is still despised today by the world, this man was the creator of the entire universe. This man is God. And he made all things out of nothing by the word of his power. And he's still doing the work of creation. So in verse 4 he says that this man, Jesus, 
This word in him was life and the life was the light of men. I want to conclude just by looking at verses 4 and 5 before we partake of the Lord's Supper. In him was life and the life was the light of men. This creator word with God from the beginning created you and because he created you, your existence is derived from something greater than yourself. You're not your own creator. So this seems very plain and evident to us. But the world would love to think that they really are their own creator. They are their own God. They're the master of their own universe. But this man, this God-man created you. In him was life. He gave life. He also sustains your existence. He upholds your existence. All humanity have life because Jesus sustains it, even for those who reject Him. We see the physical light of creation was created by the Word. And there's also life in man. The breath of life, it comes from the Creator. That's why Paul said to the Gentiles, In Athens, in Him we live and move and have our being. It's only in Him that you're even alive. But more than that, the life is the light of men. That's a more specific statement. The light of men. Not just life, but light. This is highlighting the creative and regenerating work of Jesus, which He will talk about later throughout this Gospel, especially in John chapter 3. In Genesis, he created light in the beginning of the universe. And in John 3, we see that he creates life in the hearts of his beloved. He tells Nicodemus about this new life, this creative miracle done in the human heart. He said, you must be born again. You have to be recreated. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So, in Christ is the life. It's the light of men. This, this light. The sun of righteousness. He shines on darkened souls with the light of God, communicating God, shining out God. He's the light of the world. But there's conflict here. And this is a theme of John as well. There's some conflict from the very beginning. Just as we see in the The early parts of the Bible in Genesis 3, there's conflict. There's an enemy. There's darkness. John highlights that in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. After the fall, darkness seemed to rule on the earth, and Jesus, when He came to the earth, came into the world like a flash of lightning, dispelling darkness. Only it wasn't just a a momentary flash. Have you ever seen a thunderstorm kind of roll through and you see in the distance a flash and then the flashes get closer and then if it's a really powerful storm, the lightning just flashes sequentially in ever-increasing glory. And if you could imagine that that continues until the end of the world, that is the work of Christ on the earth. The darkness will not overcome it. 
Second Peter 1.19 says that this morning star rises in the hearts of his beloved. Malachi 4, he says that this son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The darkness will never overcome the light. There was never a chance that the darkness would overcome the light. And this light, this life, dispels and drives away darkness. So Genesis 1, this, this creation was a shadow, if you will. This creation of light was a shadow of the ultimate cre- creation that Christ does in the hearts of those whom he saves. Shining light. And we must be born again. We must have faith in Christ. And yet in John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that this this world loves darkness. He said, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Those who come to the light are coming to the light because God has done a work of recreation. He's shown his light to their souls. This day there are some here maybe who don't really know the light. You have not seen the light shining upon you. You know that your soul is in darkness. You need to come to the light. You need to come to God. You need to come to Christ. Jesus Christ truly is our only hope for salvation. May these words not condemn you, but may they enrapture you and fill you with Joy and trust and belief in Jesus Christ. I pray to God that you all come to the light. This Logos, this Word is the message from God. He's the eternal one with the Father. He is your Creator. And He overcomes the darkness. Charles Wesley describes this better than anyone. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose and went forth and followed thee. Amen. As I pray with the, those serving